0: That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Fresh from our by election road trip, kind of, we're at Glastonbury. The Glastonbury Festival has a long association with the political left and a tradition of hosting events where people can hear from politicians and activists and participate themselves in debates. Thank you so much for coming, this is the biggest crowd in the left field so far this year. This year, in one of the events I chaired, Andy Burnham spoke in the left field tent about how the UK's political system needs to be radically changed.
3: There's a reason why we're such an unequal country, and it's hardwired for inequality. And so I'm saying, yeah, I've come to the view a complete rewiring of Britain is what we need.
2: And in the green futures field, Ed Miliband shared his thoughts about climate activism in a world of huge corporate lobbying.
4: Popular movements that push for change and say, this is our future, we want action on climate, are important.
2: Three days in the political corners of Glastonbury gave me a strong sense that things are shifting as Boris Johnson's government falls apart. But I also got the feeling that the forces that oppose the Tories still have a vast amount of work to do. I'm John Harris, and you're listening to Politics Weekly UK for The Guardian. Well, I suppose to people who haven't been here or who watch it on TV they'll think of Glastonbury as being about music you know, bands and solo artists and also about hedonism I suppose, going go somewhere for three days and camping and forgetting who you are you know, but there's another strand to the festival which is represented by the left field which has music in the evenings, although it tends to be music at least with a political element with a small p but also there are debates and and, and these big sort of participatory sessions during the day and what that reflects is something that goes back into Glastonbury's history which is Glastonbury for at least its first 20 years was understood as being something to do with the political left it was started or became a festival for the campaign for nuclear disarmament to raise money and it had all these associations with the political left, not the Labour Party but in some mixture of the sort of traveller community and um, environmental politics, you know, the sort of the counterculture of politics and that's still here. So there are a lot of people who come here to spend at least some of their time talking about and sort of doing politics. I can't believe I've just been told to accost Andy Burnham in his shower queue, (laughs) deprive him of his morning freshener. (laughs) It's basic human rights—the right to a shower, isn't it? It's not right. Andy Burnham, good morning to you. How are you? uh, Just talking to Billy Bray. Right, you're fresh and ready to go now. I am actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's better. So there's no, there's no, uh, there's no opening small talk here, Andy. We'll have to get straight straight to it, right? You, you have come here to probably talk in the starkest terms yet about something you've been talking about for a fair while, which is that politics and our system of politics and power is broken. Yeah, we don't just need a
3: change of government. We need a change of the system of government in Britain. And, you know, I've had a long journey to get to this point. As you know, you know, uh, 16 years as an MP, I've seen Whitehall. I've seen the sort of town hall side of things uh, now. It doesn't work. There's a reason why we're such an unequal country. Yeah. And it's hardwired for inequality and so I'm saying, yeah, uh, I've come to the view a complete rewiring of Britain
2: is what we need. So you don't solve those questions of poverty and inequality and some of those economic questions unless you change our system of power, right? That's exactly. yeah. the problem. Okay, but how do we change
3: it? So I would, as a starter for 10, I would put on the table three things. First, I've come to the view that we need proportional representation for the Commons. An elected Senate of the nations and regions... we get getting
2: rid of the House of Lords.
3: ...to get rid of the House of Lords. I mean... This day and age, twenty-first century, unelected people making our laws. Totally. Ian oh, it's, Botham, it's, it's
2: unbelievable. It's farcical.
3: It is farcical. Oh, so you're getting,
2: we're getting rid of the House of Lords. We're getting PR. What's, the, what's number three?
3: Devolution's number
2: three. Maximum maximum devolution. devolution. Yeah, to the regions of England and the nation. So we would have new. What uh, assist, uh, structures of government whereby there were elected regional bodies and regional no, government no, no, for England. No, no,
3: go through the combined authorities that are being created. I think about that's the, regional government. Gov- the government got government And it's that.
2: regional government for England? Yeah, it's city regional government. Now, in pursuit of this, you are going to talk about the necessity of Labour cooperating with other parties, right? Yeah. Uh, so, cooperate with the Liberal Democrats and the Greens, that's part of your vision? Yes. What about the SNP, Applied? I think all of them, uh, because if you're going to rewire Britain, yeah. you're going to have to have a consensus behind it. Wait, but things, are you, you? envisaging a, a, a coalition of parties set on changing the political system of the left and centre-left, really? So I'm not. Or I'm, is it anybody who wants to come apart from the BMP? Well, no, it's it's of
3: the left and the centre-left to begin with. That's where you start. Uh, and that's where the discussion should be
2: but if the SNP S- implied so. wanted to be involved as well as the Greens and the Lib Dems you're
3: open on to on that. the specifics that I've mentioned the three specifics that I've mentioned PR for the Commons, elected Senate of Nations and Regions yeah. more devolution if we can get agreement between people on those three things then why not let's get that agreement and get it on the table now and I'm not talking about an electoral pact by the way that's, I'm not, that was the next question I'm not talking about secret deals behind. I think it's better to bring this out in the open yeah. a programme for political change that is agreed
2: ahead of an election. But but we're not going to get the kind of change that you're talking about on the basis of the cooperation you'd like to see unless we get more non-Tory MPs. That has to be part of it, right? And in a seat like Tiverton and Honiton we've just seen it, right? where I live in Somerset, large swathes of this part of the world, where we're, where we're talking from, the southwest, west the Labour Party hasn't got a cat in hell's chance and if you want rid of a Tory, you have to vote Liberal Democrat So
3: that's I, I, Yes, I agree but but, So you're alright with tactical voting? Well what, I, well, what I'm saying is though, have a, an agreed programme for change, and if that then needs people in uh, different parts of the country to say, well I'm going to vote tactically so I can get this programme for change, well why not? I've, I personally don't have a have a problem with we have to work around the existing system to then change it. And I'm, I'm definitely saying that. And I think, to be honest as well, though, John, it's not just about internal restructuring of politics. You rewire Britain then to make some profound social oh, yeah, changes I are mean, hopefully talking, will last a generation. I've got a
2: draft here of what you're going to say, and you're talking about uh, things like a basic income? Yes. A huge programme of house-building? Yeah, housing is a human right in
3: UK law. Nobody in this country can have a good life without uh, secure, safe housing. Social
2: care and NHS terms? I've always
3: argued that, and I will continue to argue that. How can somebody with dementia be treated differently from somebody with cancer? Uh, it's immoral, in my view. Uh, yes. And renationalisation of rail. I mean, you know, we're all living through the, the
2: rail strikes. It's, it's quite frankly obscene. OK, here's the thing, though. You, well, you were quite straightforward in your support for the RMT and what they're trying to achieve for people who work on the railways, Right. I saw that on Twitter. Why is so much of the Labour Party and the upper reach of the Labour Party so weird about something as simple as that? I think it goes back to the very first
3: point I made. And I'm not, you know, castigating them because I understand the pressures when you're in that Westminster system. And I've been there and I've I've kind of felt those pressures. When you have this kind of concentration of power, as we have in this country, the media pressure on that system
2: is intense. Yeah, but the world's changed, self-evidently. I mean, he's on the, prior to last week, Mick Lynch was an unlikely folk hero, you could argue, right? And look what he's done. Yeah, And look brilliant. at what it's meant for the level of public support for the train strike. I
3: think this is a simple thing here, isn't it? The trade unions have a job. Labour should always support the trade unions in doing their job, which is to stand up for working people. Uh, but don't get involved in the detail of the negotiation. I mean, support the principle.
2: Uh, and you know, that, for me, is a, is a simple thing. So, uh, right, I'm going to ask you one sort of uh, stereotypical media question. Keir Starmer's not going to do this, is he, what you're talking about? Well, I see it as my
3: job, given that I've got more latitude these days, perhaps, than anybody in Westminster, just to put things out there. I'm not doing it in a threatening way to anybody. It's not a leadership bid. I am just putting out there, from my experience and my journey through this, this system does not work. You know, I I feel optimistic about the uh, prospects for change. I genuinely do. I think the mood of the country now is in this space.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I think that's right. We keep getting these flashes. I mean, Mick Lynch is the latest flash in his own way, right? And um, those by-elections were another flash. And you just see it all, all the time. This, this sign that the world is not as we're told it is. It's, we're, we're in a different place now. Nonetheless, Andy, it'd be good if you were the leader of the Labour Party. <laughs> Tumbleweed, <laughs> you're not going to answer that point.
3: Well, I, I've made no. I've, I've kind of said that, you know. I can't see the circumstances but one day I'm not going to rule that out I'm not going to give you the politician's answer I'm loving what I'm doing in Greater Manchester genuinely and when an MP say oh, I've got a current job actually I love my job and I wouldn't give this up for anything lightly um, and I'm doing a full second term in Greater Manchester but if if there was a sense that I could uh, do that one day then I'm not going to say to you now that okay. I've ruled that out
2: hey, Thanks for the chat we're actually um, on in front on of the general public order. in 16 We'd minutes. We better go. We better go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. This is the biggest crowd in the left field so far this year. <laughs> he's very very of Greater Manchester, and he's got very strong, tasty things to say today about how politics and our political system has got to change. You know him. He's Andy Burnham. And, you know, you never saw how, who's going to turn up and how many people are going to come. And as we came out of the backstage bit into the into the tent, it, I just was struck straight away. I go, oh, brilliant, it's packed. It was really packed. Um, there were
4: people stood at the back, weren't there? Yeah, yeah.
2: And um, Andy Burnham had come along with, with this very clear, quite stark set of ideas. Change the voting system, get rid of the House of Lords. You know, the Labour Party's got to knuckle down with other political parties to make that happen. And only after that do you get big changes in in society and the economy and people were very receptive to it i mean that was that's one of the striking things that there wasn't anyone stood up and said well i'm labor till i die and i'm not collaborating with us scummy liberal democrats maybe a little frisson of that here and there but not very much i think it's to andy burnham's credit that he he now really really firmly believes that the system is as it stands is broken then it has to be changed you know And I don't think anyone who's a revolutionary would think the change in the voting system is revolutionary, but I think it it would be. It would completely transform politics.
1: All right, but how how realistic do you think it is that what Andy's suggesting is going to happen, or that he can make happen?
2: 10 or 15 years ago, the idea of Britain leaving the European was almost entirely the preserve of cranks, of people on the the edges of conservative politics, largely. Uh, And we all know that leaving the European Union has been massively economically damaging. It's it's the most non-common sense, out there thing, arguably, that any democratic country has done in living memory. But the political right, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Farage and all those guys, pulled that off. So why can't the left and the centre-left of politics pull off changing the voting system and getting rid of the House of Lords? Right? Both of which, it seems to me, would do what Andy Burnham said, which is lead then to better social and economic policy. I mean, that's the stuff of complete sanity compared to where we've been led since 2016. So I'm alright with it.
1: Wow, you really believe in it.
2: (laughs) The Left Field was created by the singer and activist Billy Bragg and it's been going since 2002. Just before a session about the cost of living crisis, I bumped into Zara Sultana, the MP who's a rising star of the left of the Labour Party and one of the youngest members of Parliament. It's a strange political moment, I think, right now, is you've got sort of half what you need for a change moment, which is the government falling apart, right? But the other half, well, it's it's sort of about the political centre-left and the left, and it's some of it's most of it's sort of arguably about the Labour Party, but it's also about other parties. You know, our side of it, broadly speaking, hasn't really got its act together. The government's falling apart, but there's something missing.
1: To be able to have the change that we need, we need to have strong trade unions because they're at the forefront of combating inequality. And yes, you can get it through government policy, but when we look at what the trade union movement, the labour movement have won for working people from, you know, I would say the minimum wage, sick leave, maternity leave, everything comes from, from the struggle of workers.
2: It's a deep thing, this, because it, run, it runs through the entirety of recent Labour Party history, in the sense that in 2017 Jeremy Corbyn arguably might have made some progress on that score, but it wasn't enough to win, right? There is a there is a big issue about political alienation.
1: Um, young people have had a rotten deal for a very long time, and personally as one of the youngest MPs in Parliament, I feel, I'm 28, I turned 29 in a, um, October, um, so I feel a special responsibility to platform those issues because... I don't see anyone else doing it. And how do
2: you feel at the moment as a Labour MP about platforming those issues and whether the party or not is doing anything with them?
1: I would say uh, that I wish the leadership would be stronger on these issues, uh, but also stronger on issues to do with uh, industrial action that's taking place across the country. I want the Labour Party to be supporting social movements and not shy away from supporting causes um, that are dear to many people's hearts. All of these things I think the party should and has to do more on because... those are the dividing to, lines. And
2: if they were to say, yes, those things are sort of morally necessary, but politics is about compromise, and what if we alienated people who voted Tory in 2019 that we need the, now? The, What's The The electorate
1: is unstatic. They're not fixed in the way they think and it's our job as politicians, people who work in you know media spaces, cultural spaces to help shape public opinion. So do you think
2: public opinion is on the move a bit at the moment?
1: The vast majority of the public are supporting RMT strikes the um, and they are because everyday people whichever industry they work in know that the economy isn't working for them and they can see in the struggle and the, the deep of trade unionists and those who are simply saying actually we don't want to have job losses we want to be able to have the pay that pays the bills, so we're not having to go to food banks and we need to have terms and conditions that don't make us vulnerable to fire and rehire everyone agrees with those principles and they would want that to be something that they also have those protections so in that struggle they see they see their struggle and it's one and the same
2: is it a tough gig though having your sort of politics and Having to professionally live in this very fusty, weird world of this very odd building that yeah. smells of cabbage, with all these strange protocols. Uh, it, it seeks
1: to intimidate. It, seek, it you know, it looks like an Oxbridge college or a private school, neither of which I attended. So even the the kind of traditions within Parliament, the kind of language you have to use, it's all very archaic, and it see it, it what it wants working class people to feel or people who are from uh, minority communities or women LGBT people, disabled people is that this place wasn't built for you and it's really important that we don't let that get to our heads because that institution is for us it belongs to us and we have to make sure that it serves working people and not, uh, you know uh, the the people that it's currently serving In that sense
2: you'd argue that we talk about that disconnection and and lack of interest in politics and and in that to that extent, it's deliberate.
1: It's totally deliberate. And the way that you see the media play a role in whipping up divisions, it's all divide and rule. If you if you allow working people to think another group within the working class is their enemy, then you're pointing at each other rather than pointing upwards and looking at where it's all coming from.
2: What's the best thing you've done at Glastonbury?
1: I have really enjoyed... Uh, Joy Crooks' gig because she's a really good friend of mine and I had an absolute whale of a time. I've also been, uh, you know, seen AJ Tracy, Megan the Stallion, uh, Burner Boy, Olivia Rodrigo, and had fun with comrades as well. So it's been a, a good crack.
2: I wish there were more MPs with music tastes like yours.
1: <laughs> um, it's eclectic, I'm told. <laughs> they have everything. No, Brilliant. thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Lovely thank you. to meet you. Ooh, nice to meet you She's 20,
2: 28, 29. Makes me feel old. <laughs>
1: she's very impressive
2: you know I'm not I'm not necessarily wholly on the same political page as her but um, it's really impressive you know she's under well you know under 30 28, 29 you know she's not here for the heritage rock aspect of Glastonbury you know that's sort of in there too it's quite it's interesting isn't it she sort of mixes very modern politics with quite traditional politics talking about trade unions and workers' struggles and all that. And they're mixed up with this more 21st century view of things. But the point is, maybe all that stuff about workers' struggle might turn out to be updated and relevant to the 21st century. Maybe that's all on its way back. I mean, that's, the, that's maybe the meaning of Mick Lynch in a, in a weak flat becoming this big media presence. We're not in Westminster now, are we? We're really not. And it's better that we're not.
0: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Our
2: next stop is the green futures field, where I'm chairing a conversation with Ed Miliband, the Shadow Secretary of State for Climate Change and Net Zero. It's meant to be about energy, but quickly turns into a fascinating debate about almost every aspect of the politics of the climate crisis.
1: So where are we, Green Futures? What do we, know about? what
2: do we know about Green Futures? Green Futures is a part of the Greenfields, which is much bigger. But the Greenfields has been a thing for as long as I've been coming to Glastonbury, I think, which shows you that as well as nuclear disarmament, which is its big cause traditionally, uh, the environment, and then once that became the key part of the, climate, uh, the environmental agenda, climate, the climate emergency and climate change, it's just sort of been built here. It's the most visible bit of politics you get here. I mean, all the stuff we've been going on about in there about housing and workers' rights and that, some of that is here and always has been, but the green thread of Glastonbury is really strong. And um, this is the, the speakers' forum at the green in the Green Futures Field, which is run, at least partly, by uh, a guy called Shane, who's one of my... I think he represents me in Somerset County Council. He's one of my local Froome Green Party councillors. Oh, wow. He's calling me now, I think. It's Probably
4: a very exciting event. Um, I'm really, really Jay. delighted to be able to welcome Ed Miliband, show secretary for Climate and Net Zero, and John Harrison, the Guardian, and I'll hand over to John now.
2: Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here, it really is. Um, I, uh, as some people may know, I'm a writer, I also make films, I'm a podcaster as well. I, I, will... I am too, true. <laughs> That's true. I'm not the MP for Doncaster North. Though. So I'm sitting with Ed Miliband. We've just done an event at the Speaker's Forum in the Green Futures field, which I thought was fascinating, because we there was a lot of audience participation, wasn't there? There were a lot of points and arguments and questions made from people who aren't involved in mainstream politics, and some of them don't have that much time for mainstream politics. And as much as anything, you're making the case for your involvement in mainstream politics. It'd be brilliant if you, if you and people in similar positions to you did one of those every week wouldn't it? I would definitely do one of those every week. Oh alright, we might take you up
4: on that I mean I really loved it, honestly to be honest I come to the end of it and I think okay so there is a point
2: in me being important. Really? Yeah. What, just that hour you feel yeah. sort of reaffirms you in your... Well it re-energises me, wow. it definitely re-energises me. Okay, talking of energising, Andy Burnham um, has been here today, he did an event which I chaired only like an hour and a half ago and he has said that he thinks that the Labour Party needs to start talking about changing the political system and how it works. And he says there are three key things that he thinks need doing: the electoral system needs changing. It means it needs we need proportional representation. We need to get rid of the House of Lords, and we need thoroughgoing devolution to push power down as far as it can conceivably agree, go. I'm agree, away agree, agree. So you're all right with PR too?
4: Yeah, I think I think it's important to say why because. Look, our system is just obviously unfair, disenfranchises people, and I don't think it. I don't actually think it contributes to pro- progressive change. I think the idea that, well, you know, we can just elect a, la- a majority Labour government and then it will be all, you know, fun. I want a majority Labour government, but I don't think it's a fair system, and
2: I don't think it's a good system for progressive politics. Talking of which, I mean, the government we've got is in absolute disarray. Constantly, it seems. But my sense, being out there, we were in Wakefield reporting on the by-election the other week. Is that the level of enthusiasm for the Labour Party isn't uh, isn't there to the extent that you'd expect it to be necessarily? You know, and Boris Johnson screwing up is part of the change we need, maybe. But the other the other point is people are going to have to feel a lot more engaged and enthused by Labour politics, and it yeah. doesn't feel like that.
4: Yeah, that is what well, that is right. I think that you know. I think what's happened with the music is the music is playing French in the background. Some French disco. I think it's quite hard with French disco in the background. Uh, um, so this is the first time I've answered this kind of question with French disco in the background. Let me say to you, um, so I think I think we do need to enthuse people um, and it's a collective responsibility. And why aren't
2: you enthusing
4: people? Well, uh, hang on, I'm not saying we're not enthusing people. I'm saying that we do need to... I, th- I think it's been a, a journey back from 2019... I think we obviously lost very badly at that election. I think where have we reached, and I think Keir would say the same, we've reached a situation where people think the Tories are just full of lies and nonsense, where people can imagine Keir Starmer as Prime Minister, which is no small thing. And the job now is to show that we can be the vehicles for the change people want to see. And by the way, my, you know, it's my job to do that in the climate area. And, to infuse, and I can, I believe we can infuse people about this climate investment pledge that Labour has uh, put forward.
2: You went down, you went down very well there, right? It's fair to say. Only helped by my conversationalism. Jeremy Corbyn came here in 2017. He went down very well. They were all chanting, oh, Jeremy Corbyn from the Pyramid Station so on. If Keir Starmer turned up here, I, I, I wonder how he'd be received.
4: Oh, I mean, I don't, I'm not <laughs> sure that's a fair... I don't know, but I'm not sure that's a fair sort of comparison. You know, I'm sure if I'd come here when I was Labour leader, you know, I think... I don't think uh, Jeremy was in a particular category, you know what I mean? I, th- I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, look, of course it matters engaging with the with the um, audience here. Um... But you know, I think going back to your question, we've got a job to do to inspire people, and of course, that you know, but I, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a former leader. I'm,
2: I believe this it is a collective job; it's a collective task. It's a funny thing, and maybe this indicates that our political system doesn't work. I, I wonder whether you're a better politician now you're not the leader.
4: Probably.
2: Are you all right with that? It's a weird way for it to end well, up I'm, isn't it I and mean, when you say am
4: I alright with that I mean it's like I don't have my well you no I'm going to, to go it. back in a time machine <laughs> change the politician that I was I mean I don't know I think you can do a look you've got much more freedom as a non-leader than you do as a leader but I could have done a... I could have done it better I could have been I think people do want engagement and all of that, you know, I don't know.
2: One of the other reasons that event was so interesting is there were a couple of occasions when you sort of talked about your interior self and how it feels to be a politician. You don't hear politicians talk about very often. And you talked about your experience when you were Labour leader. Of having this almost impossible set of considerations to turn around in your head the whole time—that if anything happened or you said anything, oh God, how will this play here? What's—is this going to be another way for the Daily Mail to monster me and all that? And if you're not careful, I suppose I don't know whether that's paralyzing, but it certainly gets in the way of all sorts of things, right? And that was then, and this is now. And and are you have you recovered? I suppose is what I'm asking. you. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, it must be—it's an impossible way to live. What being leader of the Labour Party? Yeah, I'm a
4: work in progress. I think I would say, you know, um, look, I think it is a quite—I mean, it was—it's an experience that I wouldn't—I don't regret. I mean, I regret losing, but I don't regret having the experience of having been leader. I'm—I regret some of the things that I did or didn't do. I mean, I wish I'd been bolder. That's you know, generally what I feel. Um, uh, But there is a sort of degree of trauma associated with it, probably, you know. Um, And when I say sometimes say... Because you can't be yourself.
2: I suppose that's what I'm asking you. Very often you cannot be yourself. Well,
4: maybe that's part of it. But also frontline politics is hard, you know. And when I say... When I said in the meeting we were in just now, conversation, you know, the reason I'm in this is because of climate and because of the chance to do something really important, despite the you know challenge the frontline politics what i mean is it's kind of like being a frontline politician has a, you know there are a lot of harder jobs in the world all that but it you know there's quite a lot of exposure and you know all of that stuff which i don't which i don't love but it's still worth it well i mean look partly what you like what i liked about that event candidly is if you feel you're making an argument to people that they kind of get what you're saying you think well i'm making some headway here
2: okay so a, a great deal of noise was made about uh, the COP um, summit when it was in Glasgow. Nice music, by the way. However many months on, I, I beg to differ. However many months on, how do you feel about the COP process right now? bop-worthy music. Less uh, less bop, more COP.
4: Uh, uh, very good. That's what you get the big Guardian bucks it for. It really is. Uh, um, I, I don't feel great about where it is. I think what's happened is that the oil and gas the 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 russian invasion of ukraine and and the in gas prices and oil prices i think i think it's quite pivotal we didn't really talk about this in the chat actually it's quite pivotal what the reaction is my view is it means you should double down on the renewable transition because it's the cheapest cleanest quickest form of power but i think a lot of countries are retreating from that and are saying oh well fossil fuels you know well we just need our own fossil fuels now in the short term, if you're Europe, you understand. If you want to stop importing Russian oil and gas, you've got some big challenges. But I don't think I should, I, I, I'm. I'm really sceptical that the answer to a fossil fuel crisis is more fossil fuels.
2: Okay. Uh, you got to see Paul McCartney later?
4: Definitely. I'm trying to persuade my kids too. I
2: don't have that What's problem the with cell? my kids. My What's kids are Beatles cell? obsessive. Well, what I uh, what I told my kids about seeing Paul McCartney is. Um, you don't get this chance very often. I think you so might need to come and tell my to kids see that. see creatively more than a quarter of the Beatles, met, you know. And that's Paul McCartney there. To my mind, you know, it's like... I wasn't interested in the Platinum Jubilee, but it's my Platinum Jubilee. Okay, you it's, might something about, go- it's something about memory and history. Well, I and was this person tra- being in the same field as all I these Beatles. I was trying to
4: say that to them, but you might They'll need to too. probably say,
2: God, Dad, that, that sounds boring. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Or he's got great tunes. Right, brilliant. This summer is sort of um, really rearing up as quite a, quite an interesting, tantalising, but also frustrating political moment, I think. Because some of the job of a political journalist is you have to sort of sense whether or not we're in a change moment, which, which the basis of that is that the government has to change. And um, we all know what they look like, right? You get massive ones, like 1945, 1979, when Mrs Thatcher arrived, and then you get other ones, like 97 and 2010, when you get a change of government, but perhaps the changes aren't sort of transformational, right? But either way, there's a change. Now, it feels to me like sort of change is in the air, but we've only got half of what you need for it. In other words, the government's fallen apart, but the forces that are arranged against the government are not really in the right place, you know? The leadership of the Labour Party doesn't have nearly enough to say. In any case, people who don't want to vote Conservative anymore are, are, are ranged across parties other than the Labour Party. There's much more to it than that, right? Look at what's happened in Scotland over the last 15 or so years. Look at the rising support for the Green Party. Look at the fact that Lib Dems won Tiviton and Honiton by a landslide, right? Or a relative landslide. They've overturned the Tory majority, right? How do you sort of glue all that together in some way? Because that's the way the world works now. And I think what's been interesting about this weekend is you get a sense of what that might mean. Andy Burnham came to say the non-Tory parties have to cooperate to radically change the way that power and politics works. You know, Zara Sultana's all about sort of action outside Parliament, you know, the politics of movements and all that. And then you saw that really quite amazing spectacle of Ed Miliband, who wanted to be the Prime Minister not so long ago. He was the leader of the opposition. Sitting in front of an audience perched on logs, you know, half of whom were sort of Extinction Rebellion activists, and they got on okay, right? So, yeah, in Glastonbury, people associate this with sort of getting away from the world and all that, but it sort of clarified my thoughts, I think, in various ways. Most people come here to mess up their brains, don't they? I think mine might be working slightly better now. thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did make sure you subscribe to politics weekly uk wherever you get your podcasts and even better leave us a review preferably a nice one this episode was produced by frankie toby the sound was by solomon king the music was by axel cacoutier and the executive producers are maz eb and nicole jackson